Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, she is a big deal in Sacramento, shaping the state's huge spending plan every year and advising the governor on all financial matters. But it's likely you've never heard of Keely Bossler. Probably not. I mean, maybe you have. Um, We have. She's the director of the Department of Finance and is here to chat about the state's budget process and this year's you know, meager $286 billion spending plan, which was proposed by the governor in January. Um, But first, Scott, we got a chance to hear from the governor this week. The whole state did uh, his annual State of the State address, unlike last year, by himself in Dodger Stadium. This one was in front of an audience, and you were there. I was there in the back of the room. I was being shushed, actually, because we did a talk-up with Cap Radio uh, to the start of the speech, and I was getting dirty looks because we I guess we didn't have our golf announcer voices on. But yeah, they were at the Cal California. Uh, I know. Nap- I, you always feel bad for the opening act. I literally hid down below the seats so they couldn't see me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was in person. A uh, legis- lot of legislators there and uh, the governor, of course. And, you know, I think there was o- there's always with the governor a question of how long is the speech going to go? He's not known for brevity. Uh, this one was brief uh, by Newsom standards anyway, 18 minutes. It was a public service that his speechwriters did. <laughs> he did make a little bit of news, although it was a little confused. It had to be some like clarifications about uh, the gas, price of gas, some revenue going back to drivers uh, to help offset the price of gas that they're paying at the pump. It's not a t- gas tax refund, we should say. It's a, it could be a tax rebate, but rebate. not a gas tax yes. rebate. We'll talk to Keely about that. We will. But I mean, to me, it speaks to the moment we're in and not just in California, but globally. I mean, this was a state of the state speech that opened with Ukraine, essentially. Right. And we are, I I think, seeing the sort of political fallout of Russia's invasion, its effect on, of course, Ukrainians and, and sort of global policy around refugees and that. But gas prices, I mean, this is the big way that Americans so far are feeling this conflict. Yeah, and to the governor's credit or his speechwriter's credit, they, he said almost at the very beginning, uh, you know, I don't think people are waiting to hear from us about Sacramento policy details, maybe sort of echoing what uh, uh, Abe Lincoln said at the Gettysburg Address a little bit. But <laughs> Although he was wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> he was totally wrong about that. We're still quoting that one. But uh, no, I think that, you know, that was the news that came out. I, you know what, I, what struck me, and I know, Marisa, you and Guy talked about this on your Twitter Spaces analysis afterwards is how he framed, you know, framed the leadership of California. You know, uh, Anthony Rendon, speaker, grandson of immigrants, 
Tanikantil Sakaue, Chief Justice, same, you know, and, and you know, uh, Tony Atkins, openly gay woman, uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate from Virginia, Appalachia. And it was, a, I thought it was a nice way to remind people uh, that uh, we are a diverse place. And, uh, you know, people have come here and have all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, and it very much affects, it is in our DNA, and it literally and figuratively. Right. And he was try- kind of trying to draw a contrast with national politics and, and the real deep divisions we're feeling as a nation and in some ways as a state right now by saying, hey, there's a third way. It's the California way. Um, And, you know, I think some of that's rhetoric, but also it is true. Even, you know, the the tone in Sacramento, I think, between Republicans and Democrats compared to D.C. is a lot different. It And we heard that from Republicans who are not embracing everything the governor says and certainly have some pushback, but say around this idea for um, care th- these care courts, this idea of trying to create a system where folks who are struggling really deeply with mental illness or substance abuse have a sort of pathway that they can be pushed into if they're not willing to get care. I mean, that is something we heard Republicans say, good, like, this is a huge problem. We all see it. Um, and so I do think that that, you know, part of the speech rang true. I mean, the rest of it, I think, you know, as political reporters, which we are, there wasn't a lot of like newsy items there. But I think what the governor is trying to do is underscore a lot of the priorities he's laid out and tried to fund in the past few years. He certainly drew a contrast with how we're approaching education here in California compared to states like Texas with this new um which one I'm mixing well, don't up. Say the, gay the, is, don't say that, gay is Florida, Florida yeah. and then the trans, the bill to, or the interpretation to go after trans kids and their parents with like protective services. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I think, I think our biggest takeaway, it was the brevity because uh, I remember his seven and a half hour state of the city speech on YouTube when he was mayor. Yeah, that was, that was a little crazy. It, in, 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 you know, in his defense, it wasn't seven and a half con- you know, he didn't do it in seven and a half hours. One, it was well, on YouTube. Have, but... It was on YouTube. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, and I, you know, the Republicans, of course, uh, sent out a pre-buttle. Um, to the speech and uh, not surprisingly focused on things like homelessness and crime, which are big, you know, top of mind issues uh, after gas prices in Ukraine. Um, you know, and it's it, it is something I think we've talked about it many times. It is going to play out, you know, in this coming election, both locally with uh, recalls and also uh uh, statewide, potentially with the attorney general's race, but clearly, you know, the governor note, note taking note of it, uh, making sure uh, that uh, he's kind of pivoting, maybe a little bit away, although saying we're we're still going to embrace all these criminal justice reforms, but we're also going to crack down on the bad guys, and we're going to give a maybe give some ease on the gas prices or try try to find ways to do it. But we're, we're not going to drill, no change. drilling, yeah. no drill, baby. Um, for sure. And I think that this is the challenge right now for Democrats writ large this this year. And we're going to continue to follow that, you know, this this sort of tension between we care about climate change and yet, you know, people we still do rely on oil in this country. OK, we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by California Department of Finance Director Keely Bosler. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos, here with Scott Schaefer. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Department of Finance Director Keely Bosler. She shapes the governor's budget proposal each year. Keely, welcome to The Breakdown, and thanks for being here. Hey there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here today. So... I guess we can't call this like your down season because the budget gets rolled out in January, but you're working, I mean, really through when it's passed in June, right, on all of it. Do you have a down season? Uh, that's that's right. Yeah, we're, we, we do. Um, I can't say we have in the last two years. Uh, the pandemic has brought incredibly uh, challenging year-round uh, conditions uh, for, for the state's uh, finance department. Um, but we normally would, um, after the budget is passed uh, uh, um, into the fall. Um, um, but it's different for all parts of my organization because the budget that we we presented, that the governor presented to the legislature in January, it start we started working on that um, in almost right after uh, the last one was passed. So it is a bit of a year-round uh, process. Uh, and more so uh, during the global pandemic. Well, and I seem to recall that the budget that was released in January had not, Omicron had just kind of, and we, right. we, we, we were getting the full sense of it, but those, uh, that the fact of Omicron was not really figured into the revenue, right? I mean, how do you, how do you adjust? How quickly do you adjust yeah, to things? No, I mean, we, we adjust twice a year um, and we didn't, we put our revenue estimate together for the January budget at the very end of November, early December. Uh, and so two things actually happened this year, uh, the Omicron wave uh, that came r- right after that, um, and also the announcement by the Federal Reserve around interest rate policies as well also happened in mid-December. So those are two things that um, our economists and our revenue uh, uh, estimators are, are looking at and uh, taking stock of when we're building estimates. So the other time we do our estimates is in late April after we have have the full information of the April tax filing season. 
uh, and then we're able to make revisions uh, based on, on that cash data uh, that has come in during that important revenue month for the state. So those are yeah. those are our two points. Well, walk us through like how you do this, because I am I'm sure some of our listeners have problems with like my simple household spreadsheet right on our budget. Okay. We're talking about a 280 something billion dollar spending plan this year. It could go up. Um, that's nine percent bigger than last year. It's more than. I mean, it's almost three times what it was when I started covering state politics <laughs> like 15 yeah. years ago. So, like, is a lot of it already kind of baked laid in. out, baked in? Or, like, what is what are you doing when you when we think about crafting a budget for a state this large? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we have in California, we have um, several uh, constitutional provisions that govern a, a big part of our of our budget. So. Uh, Proposition 98, uh, which governs K-14 spending. Uh, Proposition 2, that governs our rainy day fund and mandatory deposits uh, into the rainy day fund. Um, All of those formulas uh, are, are once we have a revenue estimate, which is the first step, uh, we then um, have have to run all of the those those formulas as well to understand how much is going to those uh, constitutional requirements. Um, but then we're then seeing that non 98 or that discretionary surplus and how to allocate that. Uh, but the budget is built both from the bottom up and and also from the top down. We're taking direction from the governor. We're also um, hearing from every uh, department and state government about things that they need to fulfill their statutory obligations and address other cost pressures that they may be facing. Uh, and so we're uh, we are going we are going through you know proposal by proposal um, internally um, uh, to review um, what's needed and then what's truly discretionary and uh, essentially uh, you know just figuring out how to make it all fit. Uh, it's one of the things that I, I really love about budgeting because you really do have to um, uh, you know really uh, you have to prioritize things. Um, it's it, there's never um, uh, there's, there's always a finite amount. And uh, and so there are there are choices that you have to make um, more more tough choices during bad financial times, um, and that's where when I grew up working on the budget, uh, we never had enough. Well, you, uh, one of the you know so. criticisms you hear from Republicans and budget hawks is that every year government, whether it's federal or state government, takes a look at what they spent last year and then just adds to it, assuming that there's more money. Um, how often do you, when you're going putting together the new budget? Do you do you go back and see how well things worked and whether you should eliminate things that didn't work very well? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're constantly evaluating when a department comes forward with a new proposal. Um, we'll we'll ask the question, well, well, what's been what happened with the resources that you were provided last year for that purpose? You know, we look at their vacancy reports to see. Um, have they actually hired the staffing? Do they need additional staffing? So there, there is definitely um, some built-in um, review back and forth that goes on with our um, staff and and the departments. Um, but sometimes, it, you know, it's after an audit, uh, uh, and then we also have our own internal auditors um, here at the department um, that review uh, more more programmatically um, uh, programs and and what's needed and and what's not needed. So it's something that is iterative. It's constant. Um, Different seasons, though, bring different challenges. Um, Obviously, the pandemic um, uh, required focus um, on on meeting the needs of the emergency. 
Uh, and, but uh, right now, everything we're talking about is um, accountability data, you know, outcome data, how are we going to measure um, what is working, what's not working, because there was a whole lot of investments made last year. Uh, and so now we're really in that implementation stage and uh, wanting to learn from what um, has gone out there and what how to improve uh, proposals going forward. I got to ask, I mean, you mentioned, you know, in lean times or <laughs> times of deficits, it's harder. And I wonder, like, how that works. You're a numbers person. Your staff is mostly numbers people. But you all have, you know, I'm sure personal pet projects that you're really interested in or areas of policy that you care. I mean, do you ever have to, like, hold your nose when the governor's like, no, we're actually prioritizing this over this? Like, is there ever, or do you ever get to push back even though, you know, because because what you do it does intersect with policy to your point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I started working on budgets in 2000. And so I, I went through the great recession, uh, actually working in the state legislature and uh, that was, and I worked on the natural resources budgets and I can still remember those budgets so clearly um, because during that time, uh, we were making such difficult reductions across state government and especially across programs funded with the general fund. Um, resources doesn't have a lot of general fund, but during that great recession period, we took all the general fund out that, that we could because there were such difficult cuts on the table, reducing in-home supportive services hours, uh, re reducing CalWORKs payments to families. Um, so, uh, so really, I think understanding that bigger picture about where we were prioritizing funding and what what essential services uh, were, were uh, we were protecting, I think, um, really helped to kind of to to balance out, you know, maybe your personal feelings like this is really, you know, penny wise, pound foolish, or this is um, this is going to, uh, you know, have repercussions later on. Uh, those the that that context of that time really set those yeah. priorities. You were hired um, initially by uh, Governor Jerry Brown and uh, Governor Gavin Newsom has kept you on, so you must be doing a good job. Uh, but I can't think of two governors who are more different, both in terms of temperament, personality, but also Jerry Brown was known as being frugal, some would say cheap, um, and also not necessarily a big believer in spending government money to solve big problems like housing and homelessness. So uh, how have you navigated <laughs> that change from uh, Governor Brown to Governor Newsom? Yeah, no, I, I got a lot of practice uh, working almost 10 years in the state legislature. So I, I know that, uh, you know, a different elected officials, different governors, they come in with different priorities. Um, they have different agendas. Uh, so that that shift, that change, um, um, I, I knew I knew that I needed to anticipate it uh, when he came in. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, you know, different styles, different sensibilities. Um, I've worked at finance under under both. Um, and uh, and it and it definitely requires our organization uh, to shift shift gears. Uh, we are involved in building a lot of new things, uh, um, especially in this last year. Uh, that requires a different mindset than holding the line. Right. Um, and so it's really, I, I think, required our department and myself to stretch and, um, and think about program design in ways um, that we haven't always had the opportunity to do that. 
Talk about, yeah, give us an example of that. Like what kind of, because a lot of the policies, as we said, that the governor is laying out now are things that you all introduced either pre-pandemic or have rolled out over the past few years. So is there one where you're like, okay, this just requires me to think differently about this? Uh, Well, I mean, certainly around our strategies around homelessness, uh, you know, and I think there, this is an area where uh, uh, we've made some investments in, in, in funding locals who have always been on the front lines of really addressing that issue, but thinking really deeply about how some of the programs we fund at the state level, um, like Medi-Cal uh, and other housing programs, how, how are we designing those to really align uh, to better serve um, individuals that are experiencing homelessness, and I think I think that that kind of uh, connected effort um, is is uh, really exciting because the one thing that the state often has, because we we often are not the ones at the end of the line implementing the programs, we are we are the funders of those programs that are that are implemented locally. I think really thinking about how we use our money to get better outcomes. Um, with that population, I think it's been really exciting um, uh, and and is because it can be really foundational um, in, in the change. Of course, we have to go back out to counties and, and understand how it's all working at the end of the day. Well, and in that um, regard, one of the big initiatives from the governor is these care courts, which, uh, of course, we don't have a lot of detail on yet. Uh, and ultimately, it'll have to go through the legislature. But you know, some local government officials I've talked to are a little worried about funding. Are they going to have enough money uh, to do that and enough flexibility? How are you thinking about that as a budgetary uh, item? Because it seems like it could be kind of pricey. And there's a lot of layers to it also because there's, you know, treatment beds and it's not just, you know, a courtroom. Right. And th- and this is this is exactly one of the, the aspects of what I was just uh, referring to. Um, so the last couple of years, uh, we have been putting money uh, into infrastructure, um, especially around a, a continuum of behavioral health infrastructure that really we just doesn't exist today. Um, we have state hospitals. We unfortunately have the criminal justice system, the j- jails and prisons where a lot of um, individuals experiencing mental illness end up. Um, but then we don't have a lot in between. Uh, and so we um, are working to, to fund projects in communities um, the care court um, uh, concept is really a new tool in the toolbox to compel individuals that may be reluctant to enter treatment, to get into treatment um, with a suite of resources. Um, it's important to, to note that, that, that uh, uh, specialty mental health um, is what we call it uh, in our medical program. It is a program that the counties do run um, and fund, and it is part of the suite of medical services. And so there are dedicated monies, um, but I understand the the concerns that counties have just because it does. It, there's a lot of effort to make sure that the right types of services are are um, in place. Uh, and that there are beds available. And that's why we have these multiple fronts that we're trying to build build the infrastructure and organize um, ways in which to get people into treatment um, that otherwise wouldn't enter treatment. I want to ask you one more specific question that you probably won't give us too clear an answer on either because I know you're still working on it. But this, yeah. this tax rebate the governor brought up, can you just talk about why you all are framing it. It's not a gas tax rebate. Like we said, like, what is the thinking there? How are you thinking about approaching this, understanding some of the details are still being fleshed out? 
Yes, we're this. You you have a window into the rest of my meetings uh, for the afternoon, um, but uh, I mean, essentially, the governor said to us, you know, the, the gas price and the gas prices were going up. Inflation is an issue that's you know much uh, more in the forefront than it's been in a long time since the early '80s. Um, and and so he said, I want to get 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 relief, um, and so we're working on um, how to do that. Um, gas taxes specifically um, are all dedicated uh, taxes um, for the most part. I, there's a few like diesel tax that's that's not, but they are dedicated mostly to transportation, but also to local purposes. Uh, and so that is uh, those are far more complicated. Um, we are looking at giving relief directly uh, to Californians. Um, which is not necessarily done uh, by taking something off at the pump, um, especially when there's not a lot of transparency around uh, what people pay um, in taxes versus just the price of gas. Uh, and so we're we're looking at um, uh, providing relief uh, through um, some sort of rebate. Um, and um, of course, uh, people with registered vehicles in the state um, are the ones uh, feeling uh, the gas prices the most. Uh, and so we are looking to, to make some um, policy decisions internally and some design decisions around this rebate in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, and we hope to share more very soon. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We have been talking with California Department of Finance Director Keeley Bosler. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. Keely, you grew up in rural California in Siskiyou County. And I, I admit I had to look I, at the map. I'm bummed you ha- got to say that. I was Siskiyou. Well, Siskiyou. Yeah, Siskiyou. Siskiyou. And I think <laughs> and it was, I think, Fort Jones, which had a population of less than 700 people. Uh, for those who are curious and don't have a map, it's like right at the Oregon border, very up uh, north. State of Jefferson supporters uh, in that part of California. Uh, you, I think, went to Chico State and uh, studied agricultural business. I mean, how did growing up on, you know, your yeah. parents ran a dairy and a, an alfalfa farm, I think. What, how did that influence Long way you? from there to the Department of Finance. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, it's, I, I mean, obviously, uh, it was foundational. Um, I, yes, I grew up in, in rural California. I had, a, I had, I can only say very positive things, a really supportive community of adults that cared about me and my outcomes. And I um, just, there's a lot of benefits, uh, but going to Chico state, which was the big town, most people wouldn't consider Chico a big town at all. Uh, you know, I quickly realized, um, that nobody knew where, um, where Siskiyou County was, uh, since a lot of the students I encountered there were from the Bay area and from Southern California. Um, but I, you know, it's a unique, um, upbringing and then to find myself in government. Um, where I realize that my rural experiences are quite different than than a lot of a lot of people, um, but it's just been a really good grounding for me. Uh, there's my parents um, uh, really taught us early on um, and still do today. Just they're incredibly hardworking and hard workers. And uh, when you grow up on a dairy farm, you know 
that uh, there's no days off. Um, and, and so that's helps to get me through uh, some of our bad uh, budget uh, <laughs> times. Uh, because, uh, you know, that I, I always, I always know that there's still more relief than my poor parents have around the, the holidays. Um, but, uh, you know, agriculture is near and dear to my heart. Uh, it is, uh, um, a really, uh, a tough business, uh, takes a lot of, uh, of, uh, perseverance, uh, um, to live, um, um, off of uh, farm income. And so I, I give uh, my hat tips to people who are, who are yeah. doing that, having to deal with all the elements of nature and, uh, um, all so, of it, the markets. Yeah. Well, and that must be a nice perspective to have within the governor's office, but I'm curious about the opposite. When you go home, do you not tell people you work for a democratic governor? Are, are they trying to challenge you on things like the state of Jefferson, which as a finance person, you probably have some pretty clear thoughts about the sustainability of these very <laughs> tiny counties being able yeah. to create their own state? Yeah. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in my 20s fighting um, uh, uh, about politics. Um, I think that, <laughs> um, but now I feel like I, I you know, I think it's unique. I'm from there. They know me. They knew me when I was young. Uh, and uh, they may not agree with everything, but I feel like I'm able to have conversations uh, to, to give people different perspectives about how others see, see things. Um, we all come with our own biases, uh, where, where we're from, our experiences that we've had, and, and uh, certainly um, uh, people here in Sacramento um, have different experiences and biases about rural uh, Californians, and, and certainly rural Californians don't understand everything that's happening. How many times did Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom visit Siskiyou County? Well, I know that, that that Governor Newsom has been to Siskiyou County. Yes, okay. Yes. Um, Why? Uh, what, what was he up there what? for? for I mean, it's a long way. I, I feel like it was after the fire and <laughs> I'm gonna get almost burned hate. Happy Camp, which is an even tinier town than where I grew up. Right. <laughs> um, fire fire tours, yeah. Um, All right. So I think you end up there. Cool. Well, we have like a minute left with you. I'm curious if you get time off, when you get time off in that tiny little window between budget adjustments, what do you do for fun? Oh, I love to be out in nature. I like to hike. Uh, I like to drag my two daughters along. Um, they're they're not as interested in hiking as their mom. <laughs> How old are they? Um, they are twelve and nine. They'll come around. Are they interested It'll in be public policy yeah. as you are? <laughs> they they're not as interested <laughs> in that either. Sometimes I'll come home and I'll say, "Hey, guess what we talked today about." You know, we talked about masks in school and, and they have the most bizarre reactions. <laughs> like they, they, you know, they um, but it's it's fun. It's fun to to try and bring them into those conversations. But uh, they're yeah. not as interested as me. No. If there's one thing that will bring us mothers back to earth, it's how unimpressed our children are with what we do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. One hundred percent. Department of Finance Director Keely Bosler. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer today, Jim Bennett. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. Be nice. At Scott Schaefer. <laughs> I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at M. Lagos. He made the Siskiyou comment, okay? <laughs> Thank you.
Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.